Good morning, family. It is Christmas Day. I hope and trust you had a blessed week. Welcome once again to our church at home service. I am overjoyed to be with you this morning. As I said earlier, it is Christmas Day. This is the day when we commemorate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 verses 6 to 7 say it like this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. What a joyous day this is that we get to celebrate God himself, being born unto us in the person of Jesus Christ. It is really overwhelming if you think about it. Because without the birth of Christ, there wouldn't be his death. And without his death, there wouldn't be salvation. So today, I am personally grateful the Lord Jesus Christ was born. Because his birth meant he would one day die for my sins, for our sins. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 say it perfectly. It reads, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So today we celebrate victory over death victory over fear of dying, victory achieved through the Son who became flesh and blood. So let us be joyful as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us lift his name up in thanksgiving today, church. As we carry on in celebration, we will receive the word of God from Pastor Mondley. But before that, Mrs. Gandiwa will share with us the offering message. Enjoy the service.
morning church I would like to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas this morning I'll be reading from the book of John chapter 3 verse 16 in the amplified version it reads for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son so that whomever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life Family, God thought of us. The word says he greatly loved and dearly prized the world. He gave us his one and only begotten son. Jesus Christ was born for us. He dwelt among us. He died on the cross for us. He was raised back to life for us. And he seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. This is all for us. 1 John 3 verse 1 reads, See what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us, that we would be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God, and so we are. Family, God loves you. His love for you cannot be measured. This Christmas, let us spread the love of God to our families and everyone. Let them know that God loves them. I will close with this scripture from Ephesians 3 verse 14 to 21. It reads, 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, will with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Enjoy the rest of the service. Amen.
Merry Christmas, everyone. It is indeed the most wonderful time of the year. And as great as this season is, I believe that it has also significantly lost its true meaning. And so I believe that it has become all about buying yet more stuff that normally we don't even need. Christmas carols and stuffing ourselves with all the food that we can eat. And so I just want us to take a moment to recapture the true meaning of Christmas. And I'm sure you're not going to be surprised at hearing this, that one of the most common questions in all of human history is why. Why am I suffering like this? Why is this happening to me? Why now? Why? We want to know and understand why are things happening the way that they are. And out of our frustration, because we cannot understand those reasons, we end up asking yet another commonly asked question. And that question is, does God even see my suffering? Does God even, even see my struggles and my misery? Does God even care about me? And sometimes that question even escalates to, does God even exist? And if you have found yourself asking some of these questions this year, I want you to know this, that you are not alone, that you are part of a long list of human beings who have come to terms with some of the things, some of the things that are, you know, the worst and the difficult things that this world has to offer. And they, like you, have come to the place where they found themselves asking, does God even care? Does God even see? Think about so many uh, people in the Bible who have asked the same questions when they were going through difficult times. And so that is why today I want to preach a sermon titled, The God Who Comes Down. And so if you have your Bible with, with you, uh, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 7 and 8. And you're also going to see the verses on the screen. This is what it says. The Lord says, the Lord said, I have seen how my people are suffering in Egypt. I have heard them cry because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to save them from the Egyptians. I will bring them up out of that land. I will bring them into a good land. It has a lot of room. It is a land that has plenty of milk and honey. The Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Peritites, Hivites, and Jebusites live there. And if you are a little bit confused, uh, we're just going to take a bit of a step back to understand some of the context that these words were said in. And so for a bit of context, we need to take a bit of a step back and go to Exodus chapter 1. And that's where we're going to understand a bit of the context in which these words were said. And so if you know a little bit about the Bible, you will know about a character by the name of Joseph. Joseph was a young man who was used powerfully by God to save the lives of many people from a famine that affected many parts of the world back in those days. And so that was as a result of God's hand that was upon Joseph's life. And we are told that throughout his story that the hand of God was upon Joseph, wherever he was. And so what, what ended up happening is that uh, because of what uh, God did through Joseph, the Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt at that time, dealt very favorably and very kindly with Joseph and his entire family. In fact, he even allowed his entire family to move from Israel and to come and, and live in Egypt. They were able to choose a good land for them to be able to live and, and, and to, to possess there in Egypt. And we are told that 70 people of the household of Joseph 
were able to move from Israel and make that journey to Egypt. And they lived there in Egypt. And then if you read in Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, this is what we find. It says, And then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, which were Pithom and Ramses. And so the, the first and very interesting lesson that we learn here is a lesson on fear. That fear will cause you to become ir irrational. You cannot think rationally when you are overcome by fear. And that is where we, we, we find particularly in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 1 where it says, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. This was a man who was overcome by fear. He wasn't even able to think rationally. The Israelites had been nothing but good towards the citizens of Egypt. They have lived peaceably over the, the, the time that they have been there. And this, and this king, you know, because of fear, he comes up with this irrational thought that there's a war that's going to break out and the Israelites are going to team up with those, with the enemies and fight against them and then escape the land. And so that is what fear does. And fear also brings out the worst in people. That is definitely what you find as you continue reading this account of how the Pharaoh, now uh, the, the king at that time, then began to deal, to deal with the people and the children of Israel. He said, let us deal shrewdly with them. They put taskmasters. They, they turned them into slaves and they put heavy burdens on them. You know, they really didn't deal with them very kindly. And that is what fear also does. It brings out the worst in people. And when you are afraid, you automatically go into self-preservation mode. And once we get to that place, we are on uh, or in self-preservation mode. Anything that is going to save us seems like the right thing for us to do at that particular time. We do anything for us to be able to survive. And that is what fear does. And I want you to think of all the atrocities and all the horrible things that human beings have inflicted upon other human beings. And some of those things can be traced back to someone who was overcome by fear. It could have been fear of losing control, fear of the unknown, fear of something in the future, which was certainly the case here in Exodus chapter 1, that this man feared something unknown in the future, and he turned into something that was almost monstrous. And fear will lead you and I to take matters into our own hands. Fear will lead you to lie in order to secure the outcome that you want. Fear will lead you to work extra hard to pull someone else down because fear has convinced you that if that person rises, they are going to take our place. That is what fear does. Fear will lead you, you and I, to fight against God's plans and purposes. And ultimately, fear will lead us to fight against God himself. And that is not a winning battle by any stretch of imagination. And so I want us to make a decision to never do anything out of fear. I've said this before. I believe fear is not a good enough motivation for anyone to do anything 
I believe that love is a much better motivation for anyone and everyone to do anything. Fear is a much, uh, love is a much better motivation for anyone to do anything. And so instead of you and I, uh, of, you, of you and I being uh, given into fear, what we should do rather is to trust in God, is to trust in God's sovereign will, to trust in God's timing, and to trust in God's plan and wisdom, and ultimately to trust in God's character and nature. And we need to resist the temptation to take matters into our own hands. And we need to resist the temptation to try and help God along. Because I can assure you, right now that God does not need us to help him in doing, in, in fulfilling his plans and his purposes. And so what I want us to do is to submit our will under God's will as we do the best that we can in each and every day situation. Submit your will under God's will as you continue to do the best that you can in the situations that you find yourself in. And you know, at the end of the day, the irony of it all in this particular account is that in the end, war did break out, but it was not war against another nation. It was war against the God whose people they were oppressing. That is the God who came, uh, who went to war with them and God was victorious and the king of Egypt and all his army they lost that battle and the people did eventually end up escaping and leaving the country and it was all because the king allowed fear to get the better of him let us not allow let us make this decision to never allow fear to get the better of us because once it does that we cannot think straight we begin to take matters into our own hands and we might find ourselves being the enemies of God Instead, what we need to do is to put our trust in God. And so, to go back to the verse that we started with in, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 7 and 8, it says, The Lord said, I have seen how my people are suffering in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave masters. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to save them from the Egyptians. First thing he said is, I have seen. And so I may not know what you are going through right now at this particular moment. I may not know the struggles that you find yourself in, you know, in this particular moment. But I want you to know and understand that God sees and God knows. He is the God who sees everything in all of his creation. You know, sometimes when the Bible uses this, this kind of language. Sometimes we think that God is something like us, who has eyes and ears and mouth and, and you know, bodies like ours. God is not like us. God is transcendent. God is spirit. Nevertheless, the Bible uses this terminology and this language to help us to understand that God is a God who sees, that God is a God who is aware of everything that happens in your life and in my life. He sees your struggles. He sees your oppression. He sees your abusive partner. He sees all the, all the violence violence that you are that you are going through in at this particular moment in time he sees your tears and he sees your pain he is a god who sees all things he saw joseph as he was crying in that pit that his own brothers had thrown him in he saw hannah who was unable to bear children and how she was being taunted by her rival day after day he is the god who saw Haggai and ishmael when they were walking in the desert and he is the god who provided for for the young boy 
boy water so that he may not die but live. He is the God who saw Daniel in the den of lions and shut the mouths of lions so that they may not eat him. He is the God who saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the blazing furnace so that they were not scorched by the flames of the fire. And I want you to know right now and today to know that he sees you in the situation that you are in. He sees everything that is going on in and around you. He is the God who sees. Second thing that he says, he says, I have heard. He's a God who hears. Do not despair. You know, do not give up because he hears your cries. He hears the prayers and petitions that you are crying up to him, maybe at night, uh, as you are even unable to sleep. He hears all of those prayers. And I want you to know that your prayers do not fall on deaf ears, that your tears are precious to God, that he sees each and every one of them, and he hears each and every word that you utter to him. He says that that thing, I am concerned. I like this. It assures us that God cares about you, that God cares about me. He cares about everything that you are going through. He cares about everything that we are feeling, your struggles. I want you to know that your struggles are not proof of God's absence from your life. Your struggles are not proof of God's lack of care over you, but your struggles are a concern to God, your creator. He is concerned about your suffering and everything that is going on in and around you. And the last thing that he says, he says, I have come down. And in, the, in this particular instance, for the nation of Israel, he came down through the burning bush and sent Moses to liberate his people from Egypt. And this resulted in that miraculous story of Moses parting the Red Sea so that the children of Israel may be able to cross on dry, on dry ground. And, the, and all the armies of Pharaoh and Pharaoh himself were, were, were drowned in that sea so that the, the children of Israel were delivered and set free from the captivity and the bondage of Egypt, and which was an absolutely miraculous account so that no one could be able to take, uh, to take credit for it. It was God who came through for them. It was God who came down. And right now, at this particular moment in your life, God will also deliver you at his right time. He will deliver you from, the, from your struggles. He will deliver you from the things that you are going through. He will be the one who, who liberates you and who sets you free at his right time. I want you to be patient. I want you to trust and to wait upon God while you wait for him to provide for you, to take care of you, and to lift you out of the situation that you are in. Continue to, to persist and to place your trust and your confidence upon God because he cares about you and he is going to come down in your situation as well. And right now, if we were to end right here, I don't think that this would be a, a bad sermon by any stretch, you know, but, I, but there is more. There is still more of good news that we can still discover in the Bible. And so what, one of the things that happens as you move from the Old Testament into the New Testament is that you begin to understand that the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egyptian captivity was a foreshadow of the salvation that would be found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, the one big thing that we understand is that what was happening for the children of Israel, yes, it is a true account. Yes, it happened, but it was a foreshadow for, of something that was even greater and even better or, and even of a much bigger scale and magnitude. And that is the salvation that would be found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the true significance of what God did for the Israelites in Egypt is only fully understood in life 
light of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. That is when you begin to understand the full magnitude of the significance of what God was doing for the children of Israel, which was a foreshadow. You know, even though what happened is, I've already mentioned, that it was a true account and it was a truly spectacular thing that happened. Its fulfillment would only take place when Jesus Christ came into this world. And so, what am I saying? I am saying that the same way that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, the same way that they were slaves in Egypt, it is the same way as anyone who lives without God. Anyone who lives without God is a slave to sin. And that is what the Bible teaches, that we are not in control of ourselves. If you, if you and I are outside of God, we do not have a relationship with God. We are not living according to God's plan for our lives. We are actually under sin, under the power, and, and we are slaves to sin and it it doesn't matter how we may appear on the on the outside we may appear you know to be successful we may appear to be even happy but the true nature of things is that if we if you and i are outside of a relationship with god we are actually slaves to sin and so you and i cannot actually help ourselves but to think and say and do things that are against god's standard of righteousness all the time we cannot do anything other than to constantly live within that sin because we are slaves and we are powerless to the power of the sin that is in our lives and so sometimes in our frustration over our own actions over the things that we do we end up asking ourselves this question i'm not sure if you have asked yourself this question because I have asked myself in this question when I was frustrated by my own actions. And the question is, what is wrong with me? You know, why do I keep doing the same thing? This is not the thing that I want to do, but yet I keep on doing it. I want to stop doing this thing, and yet I can't. I cannot. I cannot find the power to be able to overcome this thing within me. That is the reality of being able, of being under the power of sin as a slave to sin. We cannot help ourselves. This is all we do. And so this is when we realize that, that the things that we are doing, we cannot even understand ourselves. We cannot understand our own actions. We cannot understand, you know, some of the things that we do. And it's almost as if there is a force that takes control of our mind and our will at certain times, at certain moments. And this force causes us to do things that are contrary to the things that we actually want to do. I'm not sure if you relate with me because this is something that was a definite reality in my life before I met Jesus Christ in my life. And he's the one who was able to help me out of it. And so I believe that this is something that may, so many people are struggling with in their lives. And in fact, Paul, the apostle, you know, wrote this, uh, spoke about this extensively, or wrote about this extensively in Romans chapter 7. If you read from verse 15 onwards, you will understand that this is an experience that is common to everyone. This is an experience that is common to all mankind, that there's something that we want to do. We want to do something that is right, but we end up doing the exact opposite. We end up betraying the people that we love, people that are closest to us. We end up hurting the people that we love, that we hold dear. This is the reality that we find ourselves in and that is because we are under the power and the dominion of sin if we are outside of a relationship with God. 
And this is all because sin is a nature, as I also spoke about in weeks past, that sin is a nature that we cannot escape simply by trying harder. The solution to this problem is not try harder, or it, the solution is not, is not that I will try harder, I will do better, I, you know, will, will work on my self-control. That is not the solution to this problem. There's nothing that you and I can do to be able to escape the bondage of sin. We need someone to deliver us from the dominion of sin in the same way that the children of Israel needed a deliverer who was going to help them out to be able to escape Egypt. It is the same thing with us. In fact, St. Paul, in the same chapter of Romans chapter 7, in verse 24, this is what he says. He says, what a terrible failure I am. Who will save me from this sin that brings death? to my body. He came to a place where he realized that he is powerless against this thing. He is powerless against this nature, against this slave master, which is sin. And he asked, who is the person who is going to save me? Who is going to deliver me? I need a savior. I need a deliverer who is going to deliver me from this sin that brings death to my body. And the good news for you and I this morning is that there is such a deliverer. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you read from verse 20 21 to 23. This is when the angel proclaims the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what it says. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Imagine, just go back. Paul was asking himself, who will save me from this sin? And the angel says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. All, that, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God having come down to live among us. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who would save his people from their sins. He is the long-awaited Messiah and deliverer who is going to deliver you and me from the power and the dominion of sin. He is the one who is, who is the only one who is able to deliver us from this bondage and dominion. He is the one who is able to change not just what we do, but also what we want to do. He changes our intentions. He, he changes our desires and the things that we want to do. He gives us a brand new nature that is like God's nature. And he gives us the Holy Spirit who enables us to live differently. And you shall call his name Jesus. That is what the angel said. For he shall save his people from their sins. And if you've ever wondered what Jesus' mission here on earth was, you will understand from this verse that it is wrapped up within his very own name to save his people from their sins by becoming their substitute upon the cross. It is for this reason that he came to die for us upon the cross so that we may be delivered and saved from the dominion and the power of sin upon our lives. In fact, John, in John chapter 1, verse 14, trying to capture this amazing thing that happened, this, this almost unthinkable thing that happened when the Lord Jesus Christ came here on earth. This is what he wrote. He said, and the word became flesh and dwelt 
among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, it's almost as if he's struggling for words. He cannot find the language to describe the thing that happened. That Word became flesh. He, he, put, he put on flesh and blood that Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God who came. He is God himself who came in the flesh, who put on flesh and blood, who took a body and came and dwelt among us. He came to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And he is the God who comes down. Jesus is the one who makes his dwelling with humanity. And this for me has got to be the most brilliant thought that has ever crossed my mind. That God, the creator of all things, came here, that he walked the earth, that he lived as a human being, that he, he shared that, that experience that, that, that I also go through, that he struggled with the same things that I also struggled with, that God became flesh and made his dwelling up among us. And in conclusion, you might be asking yourself, you know, what must I do? What can I do? This is all great, you know, but what can I do at this particular moment? And the first thing I want you to do is to realize that God wants to have a relationship with you. That God is interested in you. You may not have had many people being interested in you, maybe growing up. But I want you to know that the creator of the universe, the God who made you, is interested in you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And I think it would be a pity for us to celebrate Christmas, which is a celebration of the, of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it would be a pity to celebrate that and not get delivered from the thing that Jesus came here to deliver us from, which is sin. I think that would be a big pity. So this is the other thing that I want us to do, is to set time apart today, not tomorrow. Today, I want you to set some time apart by yourself. You can lock yourself, you know, you can lock that door behind you in your own bedroom. You can take a walk by yourself. You can go into the garden or you can walk uh, into the park. It doesn't matter, but I want you to be by yourself to set some time apart. And I want you to think about the reason, the true reason for Christmas, the incarnation of that transcendent into our natural world. Think about that for a moment. That the creator of all things had to limit himself in order to exist within time and space and to live among us. He had to strip himself of some of his nature and quality in order for him to come close to you and I. Think about this, that the woman, the work of his own hands, his creation would literally give birth to him who formed her. That God had to become a baby and be taken care of for a time and a season. You know, this is something that, you know, is so big that I cannot even comprehend it. That he had to live for 33 years like a normal human being. That he had to eat, he had to sleep, he took walks, that he worked, and that he got tired. And that ultimately, he gave his life as a substitute for yours in order to deliver us from the dominion of sin. And that is the meaning of Christmas. And I want you, once you have got, gotten all of that into your mind, once you have conditioned your mind with that thought, and I want you now to begin to open your mouth and to speak to that same Jesus, to speak to that same God, knowing and believing that He sees, that He hears, that He is concerned, and that He is the God who comes down. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time, for this season, the most wonderful time 
of the year for the right reasons. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, we remember that he came and he took on flesh and blood. That he, he moved into the neighborhood. He lived among us. That he lived a sinless life. And that he gave his life as a, as a substitute and as a sacrifice for us. That Jesus became the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Help us, Father God, to focus on the right things this Christmas. Help us, Father God, to be changed and transformed by these truths, Father, that you find in your word. And help us to celebrate in a way that honors and glorifies your name. I pray, Father God, all this in Jesus' mighty name so that your name may be glorified and honored now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Enjoy all the festivities and all the, the everything that is still going to happen. And have a Merry Christmas. But always remember what it is really all about. So take care and be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Monde, for the life-changing message. I sincerely hope that we will allow God to work in and through us this week. As we come together as families and friends to honor the birth of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoy your week and we hope to see you again on Sunday. Please keep well, stay safe, and have a blessed week. Thank you.